Welcome listeners to episode number 15 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. Today I'm joined by my guest Brad Durad and we are recording this episode in the Russian Hill neighborhood of San Francisco in uh, Brad's backyard. Uh, We just finished getting a uh, breakfast at uh, Tartine Bakery, which is a very well-known and popular bakery um, over in the Mission District of San Francisco. Um, So we were there this morning, ordered some pastries and uh, some breakfast food. Um, So it's been a couple of months since I have um, released an episode, uh, but excited to get back into it today and have a few more lined up uh, before the end of the year. Um, so we'll go ahead and uh, get right into it. Um, to start off, Brad, if you want to walk us through uh, what you like about Tartine Bakery and um, what you what made you decide to go there today. Thanks for having me on. Um, first thing is we're in Russian Hill, so it's a, always a fun uh, trek to go down to the Mission and try new places. Um, Tartine specifically, I do like baking, but I have no experience making croissants, and that's one of their specialties gone to several places in the Russian Hill area, especially down Union Street, and have had tons of croissants up there, but definitely wanted to try a place that was sort of hollowed ground for San Francisco for so long. And so Tartine Bakery, it's kind of become a thing that is very well known in San Francisco and has been expanding. So there are five locations in the Bay Area. They have two uh, down in L.A., And then I was looking on their website um, before we went there, and I noticed that they also have a few locations in uh, Seoul, South Korea, which I thought was kind of random. Uh, But being that there's like several locations in San Francisco, have you been to any of the other locations, and uh, what what has been your experience there? I had been to their sort of warehouse. Um, I think it's called the Manufacturing Tartine, because I think that's where they actually sort of mass-produce things to send to restaurants and other bakeries and other places. Um, but the one today was the original um, on Guerrero Street. So after today, I've been to both of them, but haven't had a chance to go to the ones in Southern California. So this was the first time that I've been to any of the Tartine locations, and I think um, I can see how this was the original one because you you walk up to it and it's very unassuming. Like, I didn't know exactly what the building looked like. I just kind of spotted it because I saw the long line of people uh, out there at 8 a.m. waiting to get in right when they opened. Um, but yeah, it looked like it was just any other store um, in the mission, and you could also smell the the good smells of the fresh baked bread and pastries um, as you're walking up. Um, so walk us through what we ordered today when when we were there. Um, you know, maybe what some of your favorite things are on the menu, and uh, yeah, what you thought about the food that we had this morning. So we tried to get sort of a nice. Um sort of diverse plate. I think we got five plates in all between everything. Um, so we did two croissants, one with marzipan, one with pumpkin for the season. Uh, we also got a lemon cream tart, and then I believe it was a crumble and a quiche. Um, I definitely, I was going to just do one croissant, and then as we went down the line, it was one of those uh, bakeries that really has the sales flow down, where you get to stare at everything for a very long time. So by the time you're getting to the front of the line, you've got to look at every single item and everything looks good and it's more just making sure that your your eyes aren't bigger than your stomach yeah I thought everything was was really good um the the quiche was nice because it was the one savory food that we had amongst like several other sweet um items and at eight in the morning it's it's uh kind of nice to have something other than what what is sweet so the quiche it had uh ham and also some sun-dried tomatoes 
which was unique because I think I've not seen like tomatoes in a quiche before. Usually I've had like some kind of meat or spinach or other vegetables. Um, but the sun-dried tomato added a good flavor. Uh, the, the marzipan um, croissant was awesome. I, I think uh, we were talking about marzipan before walking into the bakery and it's not uh, an ingredient that I was familiar with before and maybe we'll get into that more later on in the podcast. Uh, but that added a really awesome flavor. Um, so yeah, everything looks so good and you kind of, so we got there right at 8 a.m. because we decided, all right, let's uh, not stand in a long line, try to be able to get a seat. And we were able to get a seat right away. Um, the The seats were pretty open uh, when we got there, even though we still waited. We stood in line maybe 10 minutes, um, but we were able to get a seat right away. And it's it's incredible. Like there's a line. We got there right when they opened at 8 a.m. There was a line out the door. And this is a place that has been open for 17 years. And they have other locations around the city, but still every Saturday morning there's a group of people and it's not even like this is the middle of the summer when it's warm and nice out we're in November the days are shorter it's a, little, a bit cooler and foggy outside so it's pretty cool how how it's uh such a popular place and just to add to that it's it's very intimate when you're sitting down in there um it's one of those places where it's it's not a big restaurant where you walk in and sort of a hey come hang out here all the time the space I think the seating was pretty um impacted but it also kind of had a nice flow to it then because then there's constantly people coming by you're enjoying your food you can tell people waiting in line are excited about the and jealous of the food that's on your plate um so it's nice because you're very sort of crunched in as opposed to um other restaurants where you might just be you know big tables big booths it's not like that at all so one of the things that i was going to mention about tartine uh before before we move on to some other uh topics um i was just looking at at the website uh yesterday before we went there and so I, I get to the home page. I don't see the menu anywhere. It kind of says there are different locations. So I click in on the Bay Area, see that they have five different locations here. Finally, click in on the Guerrero location, and they give me a, a menu that's just for the month of November. So I think it's a pretty seasonal menu based on the ingredients that they have. They really emphasize that they have like a good relationship with the farmers, and with the ingredients that they have, they make sure that they really know that they have high quality ingredients that they're sourcing. And they also only sell certain items during certain times of the day. So we got there when they had the pastries and the breakfast food, but later in the day they have the loaves of bread at 11 a.m. And then later in the afternoon they have the cakes. So they make everything fresh each day and then they give it time to bake um, throughout the day to make sure that uh, you know they're giving uh, fresh items to customers when they're looking to buy these things. So when we were at Tartine, we were just having breakfast and we kind of went a different direction with the podcast today and we decided to um, just bake some bread. So we came back uh, to your apartment and we started baking bread. Uh, so what uh, what did we bake today and um, is this something that you've made in the past? Yeah, so this is actually the, it's a pumpkin bread. So it's something that I learned how to make basically as a family recipe. So I was not really involved in any family cooking at all growing up, and then all of a sudden this was something every holiday season that I could help with. Um, so it's sort of my first uh, step into baking at all. Um, and so it's a pumpkin bread. So we normally go with Libby's uh, pumpkin puree. That's the, the base. And then, as you saw today, we added in flour, sugar, basically all the great things that come 
through the bread so that it's a it's going to be a nice thick rich pumpkin bread as opposed to maybe other breads that are lighter this is definitely something where you really only need one slice and that's going to be good for breakfast uh, what what other um, family traditions do you have when it comes to cooking or um, you know holidays like certain foods that you would have um, are there anything um, that your family does year after year that's kind of like a tradition yeah so uh, my grandparents came over from Holland which I like to think of as the mecca of baked goods because that's their number one thing is all bread 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 um, so every year we definitely do the pumpkin bread um, during non-pumpkin season it's banana nut bread basically gets made I would say once a week growing up you'd wake up and it would smell incredible all over the whole house um, and then specifically at Christmas time it's one of our favorites is Dutch Christmas bread which actually is um, a very again a rich bread but it also has a roll of marzipan in the middle and so when you actually cut the bread you pop out sort of a circle of marzipan that's in the bread and you spread it so it's almost like butter or some sort of sauce coming in the bread as you cut it uh, it also is really nice on Christmas morning when no one wants to do any work it's really nice to pull out the Christmas bread and everyone's happy within two minutes um, so definitely that's probably our favorite family bread but that's the one that no one knows how to actually make. So there's a Dutch baker who's been delivering food to my grandparents since they came to the U.S. in 1959. And no one from our side of the family has actually ever been able to make this bread. So that's sort of my, it's going to be my next project for the next month is I want to be able to learn how to make it. Not under any impressions it's going to work well the first time. But I know I have basically five weeks between now and Christmas. And I uh, definitely want to be able to have that for the whole family during, uh, on Christmas morning. For the Dutch Christmas bread, you mentioned that it's cooked with uh, an ingredient called marzipan. Mm -hmm. So this is an ingredient that I wasn't um, familiar with before we talked about it today. Um, so if there's any listeners that haven't heard of marzipan before, how, how would you describe that and kind of what uh, flavor does it add to the bread? So it's, it's sort of a almost spreadable when you think of the actual consistency of it. Um, I believe it's butter, sugar, and almond. I'm not sure if there's any additional ingredients, but those are sort of the three main ones. So it's nice because it's it's a more complex flavor than just simply putting um, butter on the bread, but then having that sort of almond taste is really good too. Um, and sometimes it's it's just baked into croissants, like we had the one this morning where it's baked in the, into the croissant. So you're having a croissant, it's the butter and texture feel of a croissant, but then you bite into it and there's sort of an extra layer of sweetness, butter and sugar, um, but they also, you know, being Dutch, they'll put marzipan in pies where it'll just be a marzipan pie for people who have a really big sweet tooth. And you mentioned um, that your family went to a bakery and uh, there was a guy named Jan the Baker who you would kind of get this Christmas bread from. Are there other things from that bakery that were favorites um, that you would have when you were growing up or even around the holidays, like any other um, types of baked goods? All sorts of breads. It's... Um, not specifically our pumpkin bread, but there's another bread called umbekuk, um, and that's another Christmas bread. If if you're all if you're had so much sugar, you can't do any Christmas bread with marzipan. Uh, the umbekuk is really good, and I actually uh, in the U.S. we only have it around Christmas, but when I visit my family in Holland, they actually have it just as like regular bread. It's like going to the store and getting sourdough or white or wheat here, um, and then we. When I'm having it in the U.S., I had always done butter. So you do the bread, and then it's it's a darker bread, almost a, it almost looks like a pumpernickel bread, but it's tastes much better. It's more of a sweet flavor, 
And in the U.S., we'd always put butter on it because that's just the way we were taught to do it. But when I was in Holland, they actually put cheese on it. So they'll do thinly sliced cheese and then put it on the umbekuk, and that's amazing. And I know that, um, so you grew up in Orange County, and your parents um, uh, came from Pasadena, and you mentioned that there's kind of a, a Dutch community that's in the Pasadena area in Southern California. Um, so being that there's like a community, um, are there other um, cooking traditions or like any other uh, types of cuisine that you would say are like um, coming from from Holland that um, you can find in that area because there's a lot of people that migrated from mm -hmm. from Holland. Yeah, so I think um, two types of of food that definitely I think have come over from Holland that everyone still enjoys is one of them is um, a lot of the Gouda cheese from comes from Holland. So I don't know if it's specifically the ones at Costco, but it's sort of if it's not, it's. A, actually Dutch it's inspired by Dutch so we always tend to that's one of the presents we get at Christmas is my grandma basically hands everyone a wheel of cheese mm -hmm. um, which is amazing and the other one is sort of taken a lot of people have taken it and sort of done their own thing with crepes is that one of the things my grandma would do is uh, for breakfast we make breakfast crepes so very very thin and then you put sugar all over them um, and then roll them up and put sugar on top again I think one thing that she adds though is we'd always put golden raisins into them. So instead of just having sort of a, a traditional like going to the fair type crepe where it's very thin and then they douse it in chocolate, um, this would have raisins. So it sort of it makes it it makes it taste a little healthier. From the times that you've gone to Holland, are there foods there that you feel like you can't find here in the United States, or are there certain things that you really look forward to trying when you go to visit? So there is. There's one specific food that is very um, synonymous with Dutch people. It's actually a food that I'm uh, not as into, but I every time I go to Holland, I'll try it regardless, and that's herring, is that Dutch people will basically get a herring fish. Um, it gets cleaned but not cooked, and then they put all sorts of either like mustard or with pickles and onions, basically any sort of um, extra sauce, and then they'll basically swallow it whole. Um, which I remember going when I was little we go there and I it was like the most mortifying thing I'd ever seen and then the last time I went there I did it and I think as I'm getting older sort of the more like pickled sour taste to it I'm actually enjoying more now mm -hmm. but it's also not for the faint of heart <laughs> but I've never seen that in the United States so maybe it's something that you've kind of warmed up to over time it's become more normal to you and you see that other people are doing it and that they're enjoying it. So you've kind of like slowly dabbled into it and, and given it more of a try each time. Um, so I know that uh, you have started, you know, kind of venturing into doing some baking. Uh, we made the pumpkin bread this morning. You're going to be um, experimenting with doing the, uh, the Dutch uh, Christmas bread. Um, so in terms of cooking, like what has been your... Uh, experience with cooking like um, how long has it been an interest of yours and and what are some of the things that you like to cook at home so I think it was always something I wanted to be more into but just during college and in my 20s I just got so busy and was traveling didn't really have sort of the home base to really practice a lot and then earlier this year I actually did a cooking course at the San Francisco cooking school and that was sort of eye-opening because that was we come in each week and they teach us how to do an appetizer an entree, a side dish, and a dessert. And being completely truthful, the desserts are really what I practice because no one at the office gets excited if you bring in sautéed asparagus, but if you bring in any sort of chocolate anything, uh, it's a quick way to make friends. Um, 
And so I think one of the things that I, I was able to sort of parlay was the one thing that I had learned how to make growing up was crust. In our house, whenever we did pie, any sort of pie, any sort of cooking, one time we even did it with quiche, is just homemade crust from scratch was sort of a non-negotiable. Um, I didn't even know you could buy crust from the store, actual store-bought, I think until I was in college. I was very confused at what it actually was. Um, and so that's something that I've really sort of taken to heart over the last year or so as I really dived into cooking and baking is, is if you can make a really, really good, rich crust, um, it's sort of a great basis for making tons of different types of food, and whether it's dessert or meal food. So for the cooking class that you did uh, here in San Francisco, um, walk us through what that's like. Um, so for example, I assume you go maybe once a week uh, for a certain amount of time in the evening. Um, like how many weeks long did the class last for and kind of what was the format in terms of, uh, of what you're learning? So it was actually really nice because it was, it was a six-week course, but it wasn't something that was simply a, we're going to teach you how to make 10 recipes and then you're going to make this over and over again. It, the whole idea was to sort of give an introduction into tons of types of cooking. So uh, the first class we went to, the main thing was knife skills. It's just learning how to hold the knife, learning how to cut properly, getting comfortable. I think we spent 20 minutes at one point, they gave us celery. We just practiced cutting celery. And they said one of the biggest questions people always ask is, okay, well, do you move the thing that you're cutting closer to the knife or do you move the knife along the thing that you're cutting? So imagine cutting through celery are you moving the knife slowly down the celery or are you pushing the celery towards the knife with the other hand and the correct answer is whatever makes you feel most comfortable which is a nice thing about cooking is that it's um it's really whatever you feel is right which i think is is kind of nice especially both of us work with sort of numbers and accounting and limited creativity and it's really nice because this is sort of a chance to you can be creative you can guess I wonder how this will taste I wonder how that will taste and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong you kind of learn how to balance those out um, so each class though would come in we'd have a theme so one was knife skills one was sauces one was cooking uh, meats one day was soup day where we made, learned how to make like really really intricate soups from scratch and so each class had a theme where you'd come in here's the theme and then they'd have a big board and there'd be different variations so let's say on soup day there'd be four different types of soup so when you came in you got to look at the board thought about okay what's most interesting to me and you could go sign up for the group learning how to make that so the sort of uh, variations of of a similar type whether it's soup whether it's meat you got to pick which one you did but then you also got to talk to other people in the class after they had made their type of soup and you could go around and take pictures and the most important thing is that you got to try all of them so you got to try the four soups and if the one that you made you thought was the best great you've got that in your repertoire now but if you also were just blown away by another one of the soups you could go talk to that group when you guys when everyone was eating and drinking at the end of the night and they could walk you through maybe some of the, the challenges that they came up with or how they mixed and matched sauces and how they were tasting it maybe thought it was you know needed a little bit of lemon needed more pepper whatever they decided to do to make it their own you can sort of learn how to do that and then you're walking away from class with just you know multiple meals now that you know how to make i think it's just it's very cool to be able to kind of have those resources available to you because um, I've, I've done a couple of cooking classes maybe like in a corporate setting um, where you do like a team building event you go to a nice big open kitchen space and they have um, you know all of the the tools I guess you could say that you need and you have the space and you have uh, you know the people there to 
to kind of run different stations or everybody pitches in and, and making the recipe and, and also you have a lot of people to feed so you can make things in, in bulk. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm just curious, like, what is it like for you um, when you're making these recipes and maybe you haven't cooked it before or uh, maybe it seems hard and intimidating? Um, uh, what is it like to uh, be able to, like, do something that maybe you didn't think you'd be able to do? Then I think the biggest thing was that there was a teacher and then there'd be two assistants. And if they came over and you felt like you were lost or you weren't doing it right, it was very easy. They'd say, okay, well, what do you think it tastes like? And then they might ask you, what do you think it needs? Um, and I think that was big is that they always tell you, you can always save it. Like as you're cooking, you can always make little adjustments. It's not something where, you know, it's a straight line. And if you miss the exit, it's over. It's, you can still always learn how to make adjustments. I think that's the biggest thing. Also, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, um, sort of for the visual for the cooking class, there's two main rooms. And I thought this was one of my favorite parts is the front room makes you feel like you're on a cooking show where it's like this big open area and they have a giant mirror over the cooking area so if you're close and you can physically see the instructor doing what they're sort of preparing you to do um, you can actually see with your face but if you're a little bit further back or your, your vision's not as good they have a gigantic mirror almost like imagine the scoreboard at the Dallas Cowboy Stadium they have that size thing over so you can look at that and you can literally see from sort of a bird's eye view of exactly what the, the instructor's doing so I'd say about half the classes were in that format but the other half of the classes were in the back room where they had basically an industrial kitchen set up so it was almost like when you're going to a restaurant and you're eating and you walk by the kitchen they basically had a full-on kitchen with a stove that probably had 30 burners on it and big areas where you can be chopping vegetables. So I think that was really cool too, is that the first day you go in and you're super intimidated, but by weeks two or three, you've kind of learned how to navigate and you also feel like, okay, you, you kind of pretend like you're in a real kitchen as a chef, as opposed to just sort of like going to a class to learn something small. So now that uh, you're finished with the class, um, are there like two or three things that you would say that you learned from the class, like um, either techniques or recipes that you feel like kind of stuck with you? I think the, uh, the easiest one that actually is the biggest people pleaser that I learned how to make is chocolate mousse. Um, and it's very simple. It's really, you basically just need baking chocolate and then heavy whipping cream. And that's, those are the two ingredients. Once I got a KitchenAid mixer, that made it take about 10 minutes to do this entire recipe. But basically, you you whip cream, then you heat up cream, and then you mix in chocolate. And then you don't blend them together. You actually sort of lightly mix them together. So taking like a spatula, you just go in and sort of flip it over. So imagine whipped cream and then hot chocolate coming into it, and then just sort of folding it over, and folding it over, and folding it over maybe for four or five minutes and then putting it in the freezer and it's the biggest crowd pleaser ever because with chocolate mousse you can put it in a big carton and serve it almost like ice cream you can cut it into shapes one of the things i like doing is making it into little squares and then serving it with a, a circle of vanilla ice cream um, and then also it's really easy to make variations so you can put extra vanilla extract in it and all of a sudden it's sort of a chocolate vanilla flavor a great one that I like, especially around the holidays, is peppermint. So you can put peppermint and it's almost like sort of a peppermint patty mousse. Um, so I think doing that is, was the best thing that I learned in class. The other thing that I, I hadn't done before with crust is that typically 
when the dough's rolled out, it's put into the pan. You, you want to either put it quickly in the fridge and cover it so that it doesn't dry out. But one of the techniques I learned is if you put it in a tart pan, then put it in the refrigerator so it hardens a little bit, but actually do a little bit of cooking in the oven with just the crust. So the crust sort of starts to get a little bit brown and then putting in the mixture. Um, I feel like that really sort of solidifies the crust and it helps the crust cook a little bit more. Um, and then sort of the mixture on top goes in. Um, I think the final thing is, it's something that we kind of already talked about, but it's just the ability to sort of adjust as you go. I've had times where I have the crust, it's in the oven, it's starting to harden, and then I look in and I realize like it's bubbling. Like there's too much dough that I've put into this crust. It's really easy to just stop, pull it out gently of the oven, because it's gonna be hot, um, but you can just pull some out, you can sort of knead it back together, and you can always fix something. I think that's the biggest thing, is that I would, I would get very stressed out while cooking, and after a little bit of practice, it's like, nope, you can always save it. You can add ingredients. Uh, you can move things around. You can make things sweeter. You can make things more citrusy. You can make things more acidic. You can always change something as you're going. And that's part of what adds the allure of the creativity that you can use in cooking is that you can make your own uh, changes. You can have a recipe, but you can add things or take things away depending on what you like. You can make adjustments and, and it's also like learning through trial and error like you can mess up a recipe and do what you can to save it but maybe it's not as good as you hoped and then do it a little better the next time and, and do it even better the next time and um, so you know it's a great way just to kind of uh, figure out what works for you and, and keep getting better so you mentioned that you have uh, you know come to enjoy um, baking a crust and figuring out different things to fill in so chocolate mousse is certainly one of them are there other um, ingredients that you like to use uh, for making like a pie or you know something with this type of crust? So I know chocolate is always a crowd pleaser, um, but the nice thing is that you can also do it um, to a lot of different flavors. Like I'm a big fan of lemon, so doing uh, I do a lemon blueberry tart now, and sort of you mentioned the creativity. I don't really have a recipe for that. I made my crust. I have my crust ready. I knew I wanted to do something with lemon, so I juiced a lemon, but outside of putting sort of uh, egg, a little bit of flour in to sort of solidify it, it was literally just based on taste. So it was like, oh, is this enough lemon? Cool. Do I want to make it sweeter and add sugar? Oh, great. I was actually able to go through and uh, put it in the oven for a little bit, let it solidify a little bit. And then I wanted to put something on top that was decorative. And originally it was just going to be a design, not flavor. Um, but what I ended up doing was just taking blueberries. So just put sort of an army of blueberries atop this tart. And it turned it, it really, the blue versus the yellow really gave it like a nice, um, sort of a complex look to it, even though it was a very basic, it was eggs, lemon juice, and blueberries. It presented, particularly if you take a picture in portrait mode, it almost looks like it's a professional tart. And it was something that I was based, I was able to come up with sort of on the spot, just testing how I liked it. And then I think also the biggest thing is uh, have a group of friends who can come test things out. I've noticed that that's a really, really easy way for people to make um, one to tell you if it's great or not. Um, and also people might mention, oh, I've made something similar, I tried this. And now all of a sudden you've got something else you can sort of push into it. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, having a group that can taste it is really fun too. 
So you've been dabbling in, in baking and you kind of uh, learned some new techniques through your cooking class. Um, so kind of bringing it back to our original topic of, of bakeries and of our experience at Tartine Bakery this morning. Um, are there any other places in San Francisco, any other bakeries or, or places that have uh, baked goods that um, you've enjoyed that, that you feel like are, are things that have kind of stood out to you? I know it's a, considered a San Francisco mainstay, but I visited Nopa for the first time probably a year, year and a half, a couple weekends ago for brunch, and one of their baked goods that just blew me away was, it was a cinnamon roll, but it was a seasonal cinnamon roll, so they had put pumpkin and blueberry, and then instead of doing completely sugar on top, they had, had some sort of cream that they put on it. And it was so good that I ended up ordering a second one and ruined my entree, but it was worth it. Um, I Someday I'm going to figure out how they made that because that would be a great thing to have in my repertoire. I've made cinnamon rolls before, but nothing like that. So I definitely recommend going to Nopa if you haven't already. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast today. As, as we're starting to wrap up, um, is there anything else uh, that you think um, is relevant for the listeners as it relates to you know what you've learned through cooking or um, about tartine or, or any other uh, favorite bakeries around the city? Uh, I think the biggest thing is just getting started. Is that you can do anything. You can do a cooking class. You can talk to family members. You can watch a YouTube video. Um, but there's tons of tricks and tips everywhere. And the more you practice, the better you'll get. Um, I know my mom and grandma who've both been doing the baking for years and years and years or light years better than me but um, the key is just don't be intimidated you can learn how to do it pretty quickly and it's really fun and it's uh, something that a lot of people enjoy well thank you so much brad for coming on the podcast today i think it was good to hear about your experience cooking and the lessons that you've learned um, I know for me personally, like I love to cook and it's something that um, I wish I could just continue to learn more about. And I think maybe like joining a cooking class would be a really cool experience to um, just, you know, be around so many other people who kind of have that interest and um, a teacher who, uh, you know, has a lot of experience cooking and can teach you some of those techniques and just expose you to new recipes. Um, and it was also really cool just to hear about like your family history and um, kind of like some of the things that your family has brought over from Holland, um, whether it be like from buying food from like local bakery or even cooking. And as you're starting to explore um, the process of like making Dutch Christmas bread, um, that actually kind of reminds me of my own experience because my mother's family, um, they have like Mexican ancestry. And so I've each Christmas been uh, trying to learn a little bit more about making uh, tamales which is like um, like a Christmas thing and my grandma makes some and everybody in the family like wants to learn but she's the one that like really knows how to do it so I can kind of relate to uh, that um, desire to kind of like learn about like your family's history yeah you know it was a good episode we have the bread baking right now so we're about to go cut it open and, and see how the pumpkin bread turned out and uh, we will post a photo of that along with the episode um, so thank you for coming on today um, thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode and we'll see you next time.